My name's Catherine Carr and this is season two of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Right, I think we're there, team. Is one of you doing a power squat then for the duration? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've got very strong core. (laughs) I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. I don't feel like I've been like dream sister. I always feel terrible guilt about stuff. Do you? Yeah. This week, we're talking to the TV and radio presenter, Kirsten O'Brien. We had quite a cantankerous nana, and I always feel like I'm on course to take that baton from her. And her brother, Tim O'Brien. I think everyone's just used to that, so they're (laughs) (laughs) they're not bothered by it. (laughs) But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. I'm probably more forceful, and I would push, and I'd be... Right, how can we make this work? And he'll be more relaxed. Well, if it doesn't work, and then it probably will work out for him, whereas I've lost a stone in sweat and anger. I've never met anyone that hasn't liked her. Um, Do you know, it's just... I've just thought that, actually. I think people very much hold her in high affection. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Kirsten and Tim, who works as a colourist for TV, are from Middlesbrough, but were truly globetrotting kids, following their dad's career from country to country, meaning they often had to rely on each other for entertainment. In their 20s, just as Kirsten's career on CBBC was blossoming, they lost their mum to cancer. We talk about grief and the perks and pitfalls of travel, as well as the O'Brien family motto. But Kirsten started by describing the truly terrifying fights they had as kids. We squabbled a lot, you know. I feel bad about it now. I feel like I wasn't a very kind sister. When I tell people the type of scraps that me and my brother had, it's proper hardcore. Like, in the teen years, so early teens... Once a fight started, the first thing we would do is run to the kitchen where my mum had the utensils next to the cooker. We had a a little utensils container in the kitchen, which was was pretty much... um, We used it to arm ourselves, and there's some meat tenderizers that were our weapons of choice. And the prize utensil was the meat mallet, because if you got that to swing at each other, you were really going to do some damage. And it was very much whoever got the biggest mallet first would uh, would end up battering the other one with it. It's like medieval knights. Yeah, isn't that awful? So that was the first, you know, it was like proper hardcore fighting with each other. You'd be horrified if your kids did that now, right? Yes, yes. Or at least by some quality other tools so they had a fighting chance amongst each other. <laughs> it's so, so wrong. I know, I know. <laughs> but so funny because I can just see you two like rowing by the telly or something and then on yeah. your marks get set going this like mad dash yeah, we'd to the kitchen. So, we would both know when it had reached the point to go and get the mallets and uh, we would sort of react at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Proper yeah. late seventies, eighties childhood. Then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it would be frowned upon now. You couldn't get oh, you'd away be with in it. therapy now. Yeah. Well, Sorry. definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd be horrified if my kids were behaving like that. Yeah, you don't. I'm sure your mum was horrified too. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> she wasn't applauding your ingenuity. I don't no. think. 
So what were the fights about then? What could you sort of do to wind him up or what would they start about? I think I am guilty here again in that I think I know how to press people's buttons. I think I am, yeah, a bit of a wind-up merchant. So he was really into cars and he would sit and play with all his cars and stuff and I would probably just come along and nick one just to be irritating and then not give it back. Yeah, we'd just probably have a scrap I take full responsibility for all of it. Listen, I'm not going... I don't have sorts of powers of absolution. You do know that, don't you, on this podcast? <laughs> you can tell me, but I can't make please it square. Please forgive me, please. <laughs> I can't. And, and do you think you set the tone as the eldest and you were a girl for the sort of family, how it went? And do you think perhaps he was thinking, oh, this is a bit naff. I'd have liked someone else to play cars with, actually. Yeah, I think that's why I feel responsible. And I feel responsible into adulthood. I feel a tremendous, uh, not responsibility for him, because he's perfectly fine to do everything himself. But our mum died when when I was 26, so Tim was 24, probably. Mm -hmm. And I feel that sort of responsibility for him, really. But I think, yeah, as we were growing up, I was quite... Was I goody two-shoesy? I think I was probably smug and like, yeah, I've done this. Ah. And then I probably didn't make his life very easy. And I think that's exacerbated when there's just two of you. I found that often on this podcast, if there's just just two siblings, then you are defined in opposition. There's no space to have five children with five muddly characters with the DNA scrambled five ways. There's just two of you. Yes, and there's one person setting the bar. And so the other person just has to be aware that they either kick that bar down and ignore it or that's where the bar is and they have to achieve that or over it one thing he did amazingly do better than me which I've always been quite irritated about (laughs) is that not only was he made a prefect but he was also blubbing head boy and I've never quite got over that because I never even made prefect I don't want to paint a picture that I was this excelling thing and then he had to sort of keep up because he had his own set of skills that he was really quite good at. A head girl would have given you an early chance at an audience and I'm guessing from what I know about you from having watched you on telly and what I've read about you that you like any opportunity for an audience. (laughs) (laughs) Yes I mean I wanted to be in Pan's People was my first sort of (laughs) career aspiration. I wanted to be a little dancer on top of the pops and then I used to bake in front of the oven and pretend I was on Why Don't You? Oh, I did Talking that. in the oven. The, With the yeah. tiny bowls of ingredients. I yes. Used to do that. Yeah. And talking to your reflection in the oven and all of that. So, yes, I have always been a performer. And my brother, not so at all. We are very different. Again, though, having said that, honey, you know what's emerging here as I'm talking to you? I thought I've achieved. And then he has top trumped me, is, is the pattern that's. Because when we were in, we grew up in Singapore for a bit. And he got one of the leads in the play. And I was always in the chorus. He, in The Wizard of Oz, was the scarecrow. And I've just remembered this now. He sang so well that somebody that came to one of the performances, I'm sure somebody came up to him and said that he had such a strong voice he could train operatically, should he so wish. So he had all those skills and just poo-pooed them. And there's me going, look at me. No, no, look at me instead. (laughs) Um, yeah, I played the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> uh, 
You peaked. peaked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, peaked too early, I think. (laughs) It was a big role. (laughs) There's a lot lot of emotions in it. A lot of emotion. And, you know, very emotive, (laughs) if I only had a brain, was the song that... um... (laughs) Yeah. I think we switched at a certain age. I think Kirsten, in our early school days, she was very much... I would say she was a goody two-shoes and I would often get the old, oh, you're a big disappointment in comparison to your sister <laughs> when, you know, when I've been hauled into uh, the head teacher's office. But I think when we got to late teens, when we left school, I think we sort of flipped and Kirsten was, she sort of lost that reserved side to her. Mm. And I think I went the other way. <laughs> I think I became more sensible. So you said you lived in Singapore for a little while. You Mm. lived all over the place, really. Why was that? So my dad is a civil engineer and it was quite often oil. So um, we went to Algeria when I was two and Tim will have been just born. And I think that's incredible because my mum went on the flight to Algeria by herself. My dad was already out there. And I'm in awe now of a woman in the 70s that travelled with two kids under two to Algeria. Extraordinary woman. So then we went to Kuwait, then Nigeria, then Singapore and came back when I was 12. Looking back, what do you think that kind of childhood gave you? Uh, I think it gave me a world view you know I wasn't confined to what we used to come back to Middlesbrough and so I had Middlesbrough schooling in between but I wasn't confined to Middlesbrough's the world and this is how big it is I very much thought bigger and thought wow you really can do anything and the world is massive and you can go anywhere and also I'm very good or bad, you might think, at being with a set of people and then dropping that set of people, moving on and having, you know, I'm, I'm, I suppose in some ways I can be quite a bad friend because I'm like, oh, you, yes, oh, we're over this, aren't we? You know, it serves you well, actually, in teleproductions because you're a gang of people, you make a production, everyone loves everyone, and then off they go, never to be seen again. Um, and I learned that very young. We had a very varied childhood because we, uh, we travelled a lot. So I think probably because of that, Kirsten and me are very close because we were obviously often having to start new friendship groups because we were moving country and moving schools. Mm. What about Nigeria? Obviously, you might have been a little bit too young to remember much about Algeria, but Nigeria must loom large in your childhood memory. Yes, because, oh man, we were there at a very difficult time. Politically, there was a lot of unrest going on. So there were weird things like at one point they were stopping cars and putting a certain type of leaf on the car. And if you didn't get that leaf on, you couldn't go through the checkpoint. And so it, it felt quite a nervous time to be there. Uh, it's very much my dad's style. We he p- painted a picture of it as being this fantastic place with swimming pool and lots of other uh, expat kids, and then it was not like that at all. Which he sort of broke to us as we landed in Nigeria, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's that's definitely a, an ongoing theme with my dad. So we we landed in Nigeria, and he said, "Oh, it's not quite." what you might be expecting and then pretty much right from the start from the airport it was chaos. So we lived in a camp where they only built three other houses so there was a Polish family another family from Middlesbrough and the Blanchards uh, Madame Blanchard the French so literally four and then they never built any other houses on this camp they came and dug the swimming pool out once but there was never ever a pool. (laughs) 
it was quite a lonely experience, I think, which again is probably why Kirsten and I were so close. Mm. Um, there wasn't a lot to do, and it always felt as though danger wasn't very far away, <laughs> mm. very much out of our comfort zone. And my dad worked quite far away, so quite often we were on our own. Now, quite often we didn't have electricity. They would sometimes bring the water in the tanker and it had little red worms in. Mm. There was a time when my mum, I had to run down the road because she stepped into the house and there was a scorpion. She said, you need to run, I can't move my foot because it will be quicker than me. And I ran in the darkness down to the Polish family. And Anyway, a lot went on, not a lot of it pleasant. And so we lasted 13 months before my mum went, forget this, and go. <laughs> Got us on a plane out of there. I'm not surprised you did. I mean, tough enough to stand it for 13 yeah. months. But I'm just wondering with your kind of expat attitude and your ability to make friends and move on quickly, whether your brother then was a glorious constant, really? Yes. Um, yeah, we did a lot of stuff together. And I mean, I remember it with the with the flights. My dad, uh, when we started flying, got Air Miles books, proper British Airways hardbacked Air Miles books. Mm-hmm. And every flight we went on, he would get the pilot to sign how many miles we were flying to and from, the names of the flights, the pilot's name. Anyway, it got to a point where quite frequently we had done more air miles than the pilot and so the pilot would go would you like to come up into the cockpit thinking this was a treat for us but of course Tim and I it became such a thing that we'd be like oh not another cockpit (laughs) next thing it would come on the microphone could Kirsten and Tim please come up to the cockpit not again (laughs) we'd go up very politely and I remember this one time the pilot was sort of explaining everything for the 85th time as far as we'd seen it and at the end he went any questions and Tim went yes now would you like to see my colouring book (laughs) (laughs) oh yes oh yeah which strange given what I've ended up doing for a living Uh, yeah I asked if I could go and bring my colouring book (laughs) (laughs) to show something really impressive (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly yeah never mind that flying the plane business look what I've coloured in So we, yeah, we were sort of partners in crime in some things, certainly. But interests-wise, I mean, I can remember in Nigeria, he had a like a wooden toolkit, and he would just be there knocking up boxes or you know just making any old rubbish from wood, and I'd just be running up and down outside on the mounds of earth. We didn't have a telly or anything, so we were partners in crime. And I remember us being in swimming pools a lot together, but I still think we had quite different interests. When I hear my husband, for instance, now saying about him and his sister growing up and what they did together, I'm now terrified that Tim comes in and goes, we were thick as thieves. And I'll be like, oh, God, (laughs) I love him very dearly. And we did do a lot together, but I think I just have this guilt that I was a bit of a pants sister. And how were you regarded then, do you think, when you sort of rocked out back in Middlesbrough for the summer? Like, here we are, we've just been in Singapore, or we've just been drinking wormy water in Nigeria. (laughs) Your mates must have been like, did they care? Did they bat an eyelid? Because kids can be pretty cruelly nonplussed by things like that. No, I think they were. I think we were sort of a little bit of a 
freak show to a certain degree, weren't mm. we? That they were. It well, we was... had a microwave, didn't we, before everybody else? Oh, yeah. And we had a VHS player because we've yeah. been in Singapore. We had like yeah. the future yeah. around our house. <laughs> yeah. And the microwave yeah. was the size of an entire wardrobe. Yeah. But um, yeah, we had these mythical goods yeah. that people could come round and look at. Yeah. I struggled to fit back in in Middlesbrough because. We had had these, I remember mm. sitting in the playground and Dad had insisted on getting me those two coats from Woolco oh, that yeah. were too massive for me and the kids <laughs> called me tent. Um, outside, and I, so I, and I used to just sit in the playground by myself doing crosswords and stuff. I didn't quite fit in for a wee while. Well, um, I think you had the harder part of it because when we finally stopped travelling, we moved back f- for secondary school but very much for me going into secondary school, not Kirsten. So Kirsten was very much thrown in. So I think it was a it was a more difficult adjustment. Yeah, everyone was quite cliquey that all the different schools had come yeah. together and yeah. But also it was a cultural difference. We'd come from a well, a public school in Singapore. Yes, effectively. Um yeah. and come back to uh, a comprehensive in Middlesbrough. I mean, you know, that it was quite a stark difference, yeah, quite yeah. a stark adjustment. I think we had to change pretty quickly, didn't we? Mm, we both mm. spoke very differently. From <laughs> 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 so when do you think you became, I'm presuming you are kind of friends now, when did that happen? Oh, yes. Um, oh, God, that's a tricky question. He went off to university at Coventry and I'd gone to Birmingham and then we used to go to gigs together. Like I remember oh. we went to the Charlatans gig and we went to something in Manchester together. We have very much musically the same interests. Um, mm. We're indie kids at heart. The way I see it, it's through music that we rediscovered each other and, and realised that we, we had a lot in common. Mm. We would often go to gigs together, which is quite, a, you know, again, thinking back, I'm not sure many siblings would do that at that age you sort of want to keep your siblings at arm's length but even just the two of us you know I can remember us going to see the charlatans in Birmingham together once and we you know I would have been 20 again I like to think my kids would do that it's it's, it's quite a nice thing to look back on well if they're not um trying to turn each other into mincemeat with a meat mallet now (laughs) (laughs) they've probably got a better chance yeah exactly yeah yeah (laughs) let's be honest i read somewhere you've got a family motto which is find a way and now is that your brave mum flying to algeria family motto or is that your nuclear family motto uh it probably is instilled in me from mum because yeah when I hear some of the stuff she used to do all the stuff that I know I think at one point I knew what it was in Latin and I was going to properly go for it and get some sort of crest done (laughs) (laughs) well I always think Kirsten is a lot like mum because uh, she's you know very much a a fearless woman in a in a man's world sometimes um but she's also got very much got my dad's side of the family who um, don't take any nonsense <laughs> is the is a diplomatic way of putting it. I'm like the aggressive one, and Tim's the laid back, you know, much more relaxed about stuff. But then good stuff happens. I'm probably more forceful, and I would push, and I'd be. Like, how can we make this work? And he'll be more relaxed. Well, if it doesn't work, and then it probably will work out for him, whereas I've lost a stone in sweat and anger. <laughs> and do you think he would describe you like that as kind of... Oh, God, yes. OK. Oh, yeah, he'll describe me as angry and... 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a bit tense. She's an incredible force of nature, but in a very good way. There is nothing that she won't try. If there's something that frightens her, she will go out of her way to do it, if you see what I mean, where some people would back away from it. Personality-wise, she's obviously, as you've probably experienced, she will often be... Uh, is the loudest, the loudest, the right thing to say? <laughs> uh, yeah, said she's, it now. Yeah, exactly, yeah, it's out there, yeah. I've never met anyone that hasn't liked her. That's I an mean, extraordinary she, thing to be able to say about someone. Do you know, it's just that I've just thought that, actually. I've never... I think people very much hold her in high affection. That's very lovely, and now I'm slightly uh, worried about what I said about you. <laughs> <laughs> she did say a few times, do you really want to go down this route? This person very much took a different route. Oh, no! <laughs> That's not oh, true. Man. That's not true. But I don't feel like I've been, like, dream sister. I always feel terrible guilt about stuff. Do you? Yeah. Like loads of stuff I can bring to hand now that I cringe about why I said it. Like I like terrible. Like when Braithwaite on his first morning of school came and he had a different tie on, and I went, "Oh, your tie's different to everyone else's." And you were like, "Why have you said that?" It's his first. And I just feel like I'm that person that says the horrible, terrible thing, and always has done. These things genuinely do sadden me now of me being a bit of a Norbert. I think everyone's just used to that, so they're, <laughs> they're not bothered by it. <laughs> we had quite a cantankerous nana, and I always feel like I'm on course to take that baton from her. I think having yeah. spent a small amount of time in your company, that it's not that you say horrible things, it's just that you say all the things. And yeah. so <laughs> most of them are probably nice, but occasionally... Oh, no. oh. <laughs> Like some people don't have many filters between thought and speech. I don't. Yes. I think that's what makes you a good broadcaster yes. sometimes. So maybe you just remember the bad I'm an early discloser, ones. I got told by a counsellor once. I'm an <laughs> early discloser. What's an early discloser? Because I meet someone and we might just have gone, hello, I'm Kirsten. And I'm like, well, hello. Yes, I've had tummy trouble all morning. And, <laughs> and I literally get everything that you maybe didn't want to know from the off. And Tim, not so much? Yeah, not so much. It takes a while with me. Um, yeah. How are Just, your bowels? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. were, you, were you ever competitive or not? Or did he just roll over? Maybe there was no space for him to Yes, I don't aggressive. think he likes... There, there's somewhere, there is a cine, there's a couple of cine films. There's one where I am sitting on a beach and I've got an ice cream and Tim's sitting there. It's the 70s, so obviously he's got a hanky knotted on his head. <laughs> And he keeps lunging for my ice cream and I keep wrenching it away every time. And eventually it starts to drip onto my legs. And so Tim works out eventually to just give up with the going for the ice cream and just face plants forwards onto my knee and just slathers it off from there. Um, and then there's another video where we're both in Scarborough on go-karts and the sort of flag goes... And we're only, I don't know, seven and five or something, if that. And I burn it out of there and I'm bezzing, hacking people round, screeching. And Tim's just put, 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 up the back, pleasantly going round, taking the views. <laughs> I love the, I think the idea of sort of 
being reduced to licking ice cream secondhand off your sister's thighs, <laughs> sandy thighs, is such yes. a such a good illustration of what it means to be a younger sibling. I've never yes. heard it encapsulated <laughs> so well. That's so true. Do you think that the ice cream thing was a metaphor for the rest of our lives then? I just feel like I, I picked loop. on you. No, no, no. I just said I feel like I... I just made your life a bit of hell by going ha I've nicked your car ha, do you know what I mean I was just a bit of an annoying yeah, that's sister just standard I know but again I feel guilty about it? that I think you need to let your guilt go man I know <laughs> you said your mum died when you were both really quite young 26 mm. and 24 is no age to lose a parent no and that must have changed your relationship dramatically you talked about mm. taking care of him for example yeah we were both in London at that point um, he'd come down to London before me and then we ended up, unbelievably, uh, buying flats above and below each other in Camden. So he had the upstairs flat and I had the downstairs flat. And so there was lots of happy times where I had the garden, so he would come down and he's a brilliant cook, actually, and we'd have barbecues and mates around. And so we were quite connected in that way. I suppose I was lucky in that respect that we were uh, physically close together I hadn't realised the seriousness of it and Kirsten very much had you know when I look back mm. now and she uh, I think consciously they'd taken the decision to protect me to a certain degree Was she poorly for a while? Uh, on and off uh, she sort of had cancer in an area and then they managed to uh, operate on it and we had a bit of respite and then it came back somewhere else. But Tim and I used to get the train up occasionally together or I remember there was a time I think we had to stay in uh, the Freeman Hospital, I think it was, in Newcastle in the nurses' quarters. And, and it was very odd for me at the time because I was on CBBC, so I'd spend... You know, my week does going, hey, brilliant, isn't life amazing, kid? Hey! And then we had this really different, uh, quite stressful, obviously, life going on in between those times. So I think, obviously, it was a very difficult time, but I think for Kirsten and I, um, you know, I can remember us sleeping in the nurses' quarters in the in the hospital. And again, just spending a lot of a lot of time together, and and particularly towards the end, we would sort of take shifts to um, to sit up with mum during the night, you know, hand mm. over to the next one. It, you know, it's right. I'm going to bed. It's your turn now. <laughs> um, I've got very good feelings about Kirsten during that, and that she was a really big help. You know, being the, being the younger sibling, I think I was a little bit lost. When she did die, and obviously grief comes along in all sorts of different ways for different people, did you find that your grief in those upstairs... I like the idea of the upstairs and the downstairs flat, but did you find that the grief kind of pulled you together or were you still lonely in your grief, as can sometimes be the case? I would say Kirsten probably dealt with it a bit better than I did. I think I uh, thought I would be all right. Whereas Kirsten, I think, dealt with things there and then and I sort of left it and and it wasn't the best way of handling it. Uh, I think she had, I think she spoke to people and professionals, which I just didn't do. And then I had a bit of a crash with it uh, a couple of years later. Um, my memory is of dad coming down. So me sort of having dad in my flat... I just remember it being a sort of bumbling along time, really, of um, 
I just got my job on Smart. I'd auditioned for Smart just before it happened. So I was going into a whole new world of coming off the broom cupboard into my first sort of programme making. And um, yeah, I don't think we've talked about it that much, but not in a we don't talk about it because we do talk about mum quite a lot. Um, but I don't think we talked about grief as such. Mm. Maybe when your children, you know how you do that funny thing where you reprocess things through your children? Yeah, well, we have had a bit of that, actually, at times, more recently. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Yeah, well, I think what I meant was uh, that I was getting quite irritated at you and Dad in the early stages because I was like, look, we've just got to get on, get on with this. Mm. Um, and I was thinking that that was the right way to do it, and then it wasn't. And I think you probably handled it a lot better. Oh. By dealing with it more at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I think you deal with it all the time. That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but ongoing. I think I, I didn't. I think I just sort of tried to write that's done. I'll move on and get on right. with it. Right. And then it, it was only going to be a matter of time before it. Yeah, you can only it. bury that for so long. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it pops out under the guise of something else. Well. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yes. His body language is not good here, Catherine. He's sitting with his arms crossed and everything <laughs> tends sort of Stop making me talk it. about grief. You're not a proper psychologist. People have said this. Stop making me talk about it. Well, I just... And also, I just wonder whether it's too trite to say that when, when something like that happens, whether it does give you not like a sort of... Ooh, a fresh perspective, but it, it does give you an idea that life can be shorter than you expected it to be or things can happen that you don't want yeah. to happen is that's true isn't it yes definitely. oh definitely yeah. i am very much of the by the dress i always say now because mum always used to have a thing where she we would go shopping and she'd see something she really liked a top or a dress or something and she'd like, oh i love it oh i won't get it i won't get it and then she'd get home and be like oh i should have got it and then she'd go back and her size would have gone mm. um and now I am always of the... I mean, obviously, don't bankrupt yourself. But I'm always the, buy the dress. You know, it could all be over by 54. Mm. Buy the bloody dress. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think it does change your whole perspective on, on things that you are suddenly aware of without going too deep and deep down. You are suddenly aware of mortality in your own existence. and um, But it, that can be a, a positive thing. It doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. Yeah. It can have a positive positive effect I tell you the one overriding thing and I always say to this to my husband about my brother is that we laugh like nothing else and sometimes I'll remember something there's something oh I remembered the other day that <laughs> I'd got this car I'd got a panda Fiat Panda my first car and I didn't realise the sunroof was leaking. Mm. And so it was a big deal of I'll take the family out for a meal. So mum and dad got in the back, I was driving, and Tim got in the front. And we got down to the restaurant <laughs> 10 minutes down the road, and he was like, yeah, my backside's soaking. And, of course, the sunroof had leaked all over the chair, and he had to sit in this restaurant for the whole meal with a sopping wet backside. And I remembered it out the blue the other day, and I just rang him and started cackling down the phone. I went, Tim, Tim, ha! Um, and so we really, really laugh together. If I want a proper laugh, I think 
possibly it's my brother more than anyone else I would turn to. Yeah, there are, and that happens quite often, doesn't it? There'll be, you'll suddenly remember something. I say that's my favourite thing, ringing you. And as sometimes I don't even get words said and we just start <laughs> laughing and laughing. Yeah, and Annie doesn't even react. She, she, just, yeah, Mark's she knows the same. Who's, on, who's on the end of the phone. And... <laughs> and, we just, and that's the most precious thing. Because I, I think if you can laugh, you've there's nothing finer in life I'm trying to teach my nine-year-old at the minute that humor is the best thing you can possess yeah. and so to have that on the end of the phone at any point I can just start doing my annoying ha! <laughs> laugh but also I think we've had arguments that have just ended up with us <laughs> one of us calling the other one something else that the other person finds so funny that it the That's argument true. stops and we just end up laughing <laughs> Tim when he gets angry tends to use really ridiculous words so in the middle of a heated row he'll go you helmet and that, and that will just absolutely lose my mind laughing about <laughs> Thank you to Kirsten and to Tim. Thank you too for listening. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Nick Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. What song do you think would take you back to a really happy time with you and your brother? Oh, well, when we were kids uh, and when we were in Nigeria, weirdly, my dad seemed to have only brought one cassette with him. <laughs> And it was Neil Diamond, the jazz singer. It was always Neil Diamond. Every Sunday morning, that would blare out. You know, I can very much remember sitting in the back of the car with Neil Diamond on, sitting in the back with Kirsten. Total love for that. Next week, Meg and Chris Crodia on their love of the sea and the book they've written together about it. A perfect end-of-summer holiday episode. If you had a moment to rate or review this podcast wherever you found it, or to recommend it to your brother or sister, I'd be really grateful. To find out more about it, or to see some really sweet pictures of Kirsten and Tim, head to relativelypodcast.com. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside Now the rain may fall Your father's calling you You still feel safe inside Only your ma's too proud Your brother's ignoring you You still feel safe inside Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have